So we've been telling you about Walter's Brunch, but did you know that Walter's also is open for lunch? Monday through Friday, Walter's opens at noon for lunch, midday baseball watching, and even the occasional European soccer match. So if you find yourself around the ballpark during the day, make sure you walk on over to Walter's. Anyone coming to the Brave series, make sure to check out Walter's before, during, and after the games. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Scherzer's into the windup. The kick and the one-two pitch. He struck him out! And the Curly W's in the books! With a strikeout of Dickerson for the first time in career matchups. And for Max Scherzer, the ninth strikeout of the afternoon. It is a complete game victory, the 12th of his career. And the Nationals out of the dugout to congratulate Max Scherzer. A Curly W's in the books at Nationals Park. The final score, the Washington Nationals 3, the Miami Marlins 1. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, May 3rd, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The Nationals are back at 500. The Nationals have authored their first three-game sweep of the 2021 season, a 3-1 win over the Miami Marlins at Nationals Park to seal the sweep. A terrific bounce-back outing from Max Scherzer, who went from being the Marlins' daddy on Sunday afternoon to then performing duties as a daddy. As it turns out, his wife was about to give birth. Who knew? But a special day for the Scherzers and a great day for Nationals fans. That was a brilliant intro, Al, topped only by Max's pitching performance in this game. Nicely done. You and I are both fathers. We've both been through this, but we have not been through anything quite like that, where on the day of my son's birth, I was not thinking about work at all. (laughs) I was off. I was completely focused on my wife. I came back to work about a week later. And even that I only did because Steven Strasburg was making his return from Tommy John surgery. If not for that, I would have taken more time off. I can't even imagine what goes through Max Scherzer's mind as he's on the mound today. As it's playing out, and we don't know the behind the scenes stuff that's going on. I'm thinking, man, he's working quick. This is great. He finishes the game in two hours and 37 minutes. Turns out there was a reason for that. He had someplace better to be after all that. Yeah, when my wife gave birth, I was more like Paolo Espino than Max Scherzer. (laughs) But uh, just to be clear, not not that it's any of our business, but she wasn't going into labor during the game. This was a planned birth. This was an an induction. Am I correct in saying that? I believe so, from all that I can tell. Yeah, she didn't just go into labor during the game. It It was planned to some extent. And I can tell you, knowing him, and he's been through this before, Max Scherzer plans everything in life, okay? 
Their last child also happened in season. They planned the induction on an off day after he pitched and he came back and made his next start and didn't miss any time, never went, went on the paternity list as a result of it. So these two, <laughs> they know what they're doing. This is their third child. They know how to operate this stuff. And I think they uh, figured out the perfect opportunity to get it done and now have five days before he has to get back to work. But boy, it is something. And it just adds to the Max Scherzer legend. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's never just a simple, great start. There's always something else behind it. There's the black eye game after he fouled the bunt off his face, the 20 strikeout games. There's the starting game seven of the World Series after he, his neck locked up on him and he couldn't even put on his own shirt a couple of days earlier. It is a remarkable thing. I think he feeds off it. I think he loves it. And when his career is all said and done, and we're thinking back on it, there are going to be this list of memorable games and performances from him that are not just about what he did on the mound, but the circumstances in which he did it. He is like the Chuck Norris of the Nationals in so many ways. Another gem on Sunday afternoon. Nationals now have won four consecutive games for the first time this season, improved to 11-7 and seven since the 1-5 and five start, improved to 7-3 and three without Juan Soto. I mean, how about that? You win 7-10 without not only your best hitter, but maybe the best hitter on the planet. So lots to get to with the victory on Sunday, including another homer for Ryan Zimmerman. I mean, how many good things can you say about the season he's having so far? But yeah, Max Scherzer is the story. You said it on the last installment of the podcast, and it's so true. The surest bet on the planet. I mean, we both were saying this, but Max Scherzer bouncing back, right? I mean, Scherzer was not particularly good in his previous outing, that uh, 9-5 loss to Toronto in Dunedin last Tuesday night. Seven runs, five earned, and five innings. He goes out there on Sunday. The Marlins lineup isn't great to begin with, and Max just dominated. You know, there's no two ways about it. One run in nine innings, nine strikeouts. If not for the leadoff homer by Isan Diaz in the top of the ninth, you're almost certainly talking about a complete game shutout. He throws 76 of his 106 pitches for strikes. Like, this was vintage Max, finishing strong, you know, marching around the mound. Like, if, if you were to say, what does a Max Scherzer start like? What is Max Scherzer at his best like? Just show him a tape of this game, and it basically encapsulates everything. You're 100% right on that. It even included that little scary moment on the very first pitch of the game. Isan Diaz drives a ball to left field, and you're thinking, oh, no, here we go. And then Josh Harrison catches it at the warning track. Diaz would spoil the shutout bid with a, a homer. He did connect on one in the ninth, and that prevented the shutout from happening and maybe prevented the Maddox from happening. He was on track to finish the game in fewer than 100 pitches, which is a Greg Maddox, and I'll have a story for you about that a little later on. But like you said, in my mind, it was a sure bet coming into the game. And I know I said 10 strikeouts if I was a betting man, so I was wrong about that. He only struck out nine. But the actual domination is what really what you knew was going to happen. And I looked it up, and here are the numbers. Since joining the Nationals in 2015, He's had nine starts in which he's given up six or more runs. In his subsequent start after that, nine subsequent starts after that, he's never given up more than three runs. He has a 2.31 ERA in those games. Now, he may never come out and admit it, that he's extra motivated or anything like that. But to me, the toughest assignment in sports right now is facing Max Scherzer five days after he has a bad outing because you know he's going to be determined to put that one behind him. And he was again on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, when the Hall of Fame speech is given by Max Scherzer and everyone's in Cooperstown for that weekend, there are going to be many things we're going to look back upon. You know, durability is going to be one of them. How in this day and age of so many pitchers missing so much time, Max barely has missed any time in his career. The fact that he's lived up to this contract is going to be one of them in an era in which so many big money pitcher contracts flopped. His was a bargain, relatively speaking. But I think maybe as much as anything is, 
he doesn't slump. Like the thing we've talked about, you know, like Patrick Corbin, he's struggling. And, you know, various Nationals pitchers at various points, like Gio Gonzalez, he's struggling. Anibal Sanchez, he's struggling. Max doesn't get into ruts. He has bad starts. And then that's it. He has a hiccup, not hiccups. And then that's it. He always bounces back. He always ends up being the guy you know that he is. That is incredible to me. You know, I think we mentioned it a few weeks ago, how like Juan Soto really hasn't had a slump so far in his career. Max Scherzer, certainly since he's come to the Nationals, has never a quote unquote slump. Like he's never had more than what, one, maybe two consecutive, I don't know, mediocre to bad starts. And then he's right back to being the Cy Young candidate we've always known him to be. Max Scherzer is incredibly talented and that has taken him a long way. But what separates him from the rest is the competitive drive, the desire to be the absolute best, to never be satisfied with how he's doing. And like you said, when something doesn't go right, to turn it back around right immediately. And I think Juan Soto has a lot of those same qualities. And that's what's ultimately going to make him, you know, maybe a Hall of Famer. He's got a long way to go still. But that, I think, is what I'll remember most about Max. It's not just that he has this God-given talent. It's the competitiveness that he brings every time he takes the mound. And I was thinking to myself, okay, in the eighth inning of this game, gets into a little bit of trouble. All of a sudden, Daniel Hardson starts warming up. Jim Hickey comes to the mound to talk to him. The crowd's murmuring. You're thinking, well, all right, if he gets out of this inning, I wonder if Davey might pull the plug on it. And then I'm remembering, no, there's no chance Davey's pulling the plug on this. If he tried to take the ball away from Max Scherzer today in this game, I don't want to know what the scene would have been in the dugout. That's who Max Scherzer is. He wants the ball. He wants to finish what he starts. And he did it brilliantly in this game. So he has nine strikeouts. One of the things I thought was interesting about Max's performance, the number of ground balls. Max induced a number of grounders in the game, ultimately recorded 11 outs via the ground ball. And if you look at some of his advanced stuff so far this season, his ground ball percentage had actually been rather low on the year. His ground ball percentages usually are like in the 30s, maybe even tickling 40. It was less than 19% coming into this game. He ends up getting a bunch of grounders in the game to conclude what ends up being a great weekend for the Nationals from a starting pitching standpoint. But we actually saw this right from John Lester in his Nationals regular season debut on Friday night, bunch of ground balls. What did you make of that aspect of Max's game, getting a bunch of grounders? I don't know if that was by design necessarily, but I mean, he had a good fastball going today. So maybe he felt like, you know, I don't really need to, to mess around with other stuff and to try to put away hitters that way. But I mean, even the hits off him until the end of the game, they were weak contact. The first three hits off him were, I think, 72 miles an hour or less in exit velocity. So that's nothing. And there was a point there when he only had the one base runner through four innings. And that was Corey Dickerson's little jam shot single to right field in the in the second inning. And I'm thinking like, man, if not for that one, we might be really talking about something historic in this game. And it didn't turn out that way in the end, but he was just in complete control. And I think that's also a good sign of him is that as the game plays out, he recognizes what's working, what's not working. He knows what kind of pitcher he needs to be on that day. This was not a day that he needed to try to get up to 120 pitches and strike out 15 batters. He was getting weak contact. So just put the ball in the strike zone and let them do the work for you. And he recognized that. And because of it, he had the chance. He was at 60 pitches through six innings, 75 through seven, 92 through eight. So it was going to be tough in the ninth to get it under 100. But I would say through the seventh, I still thought it was possible to throw a Maddox, which I've seen in my life, including from the man himself, Greg Maddox, if you'd like to hear that story. Yeah, go ahead. Let's hear it. 1997, I am an intern at the now defunct Daily South Town in suburban Chicago. And by good fortune, I had the ability to end up covering the Cubs all that summer. 
It was a small newspaper. They had a small staff. Their Cubs beat writer had just moved on to something else. The team wasn't very good. Managed by Jim Riggleman. And because of that, they just kind of let me cover the team for the summer as, as an intern. And it was a great experience. And one of the best games I got to cover was against the Braves. July 22nd, first game of a doubleheader, Greg Maddox on the mound for the Braves against his former team, the Cubs. He went the distance, a 4-1 Braves victory, one run, five hits, no walks, six strikeouts, and he did it on 77 pitches, which is unfathomable by today's standards. And even at that time, I remember thinking, this is pretty remarkable. Who does that? 77 pitch complete game from Greg Maddox. And that's why, for those who don't know the term, affectionately now, if a starting pitcher can get through a game on fewer than 100 pitches, it's called a Maddox because the man himself made a habit out of doing that. Yeah, well, the game at least was Maddox-like in that it took two hours, 37 minutes. You know, that's not something we're used to these days, but it can happen, and it did happen because of the way Max Scherzer pitched. By the way, 1997 Cubs, wasn't that the uh, Anthony Young season? I think in April, he set that record where he lost 27 straight decisions. I think you are right. That's before I started covering them because I was still finishing the school year. I mean, they were an awful team. They got off to a bad start by the time I took over. I think the reason they let me take over was because they were so bad and nobody cared about them at that point. But it was only one year before their breakout season of 98. So Sammy Sosa was just a guy on the team in 97 who would strike out a lot and hit some homers and and all that. No idea what was to come in 98. But I do remember hearing them talking about a young pitching phenom who was on the way, who would debut the next year. I didn't get to cover Terry Wood, but I watched his 20 strikeout game from my dorm room. And I remember thinking, I knew about this kid, and he proved to be something really special that year. Other than Steven Strasburg's rookie season, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen as from a rookie pitcher, where every time he took the mound, it was an event at Wrigley Field. And I remember that in 2010, thinking that when Strasburg took the mound every fifth day, it was an event, sellout crowds. It was the same thing for Kerry Wood in Chicago in 1998. Yeah, it was. It was truly special that year for not just Sosa, but for Kerry Wood, like you just said. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. I'm so excited that we have baseball. There's nothing like watching a game with great weather, a cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you've never bet on baseball before, now's actually the perfect time to give that a shot because FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free. You'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same-game parlay bet Falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. Check out the 100K MLB Grand Slam while the Nats are off on Monday with first place winning $20,000. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. They've got great odds in all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions that let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 109 with it, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 100-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. Are you interested in buying or selling your home? Support for Nats Chat comes from Rachel Levy of Compass Real Estate. By focusing on the personal parts of the real estate process and using technology to simplify the rest, 
Rachel seamlessly guides her clients through their experience. Rachel uses her deep local knowledge and exceptional customer service to advocate for her clients all across D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. To learn more, follow her on Instagram at Real Estate Rachel. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Rogers ready, he deals. Swing a high drive, straightaway center field. This one crushed. Harrison back, and there it goes. Right over the 402 mark in dead center. A three-run home run for Ryan Zimmerman. All right, so Scherzer outstanding. The bullpen not called upon at all in that game on Sunday. And the Nationals' bats continue to show signs of life. Look, the offense is still far from great, but the Nats finally are hitting some homers. Davey continues to tinker with the lineup basically every game. Another new-look lineup on Sunday. It's not necessarily a bad thing that Davey's doing this. It's just kind of interesting how every lineup is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get when the the lineup card comes out for the given game. Davey loads up on righties for this game on Sunday, and things end up, for the most part, working out. I mean, eight hits isn't a grand total, but you draw four walks. Nats get the big blast, which ends up being another Ryan Zimmerman home run. Ryan Zimmerman is hitting out of his mind right now. Three-run bomb with two outs off the lefty Marlins starter, Trevor Rogers, who had been outstanding so far this year. Came into the game with an ERA of 129, an ERA plus of 315. Zimmerman tattoos Rogers to dead center in the bottom of the third. The homer per stat cast, exit velocity of 107.4 miles per hour, a projected 430 feet in terms of the distance. Zimmerman has barely played this season. 
and yet he's second on the team with four home runs. He's slugging 596. He's got an on-base of 347. This is becoming to me a pretty big thing. Zimmerman in these limited opportunities, just thriving. He, I mean, he looks like 2008 Ryan Zimmerman at the plate so far this year. It's remarkable. I can't say I thought this was going to happen like this. I mean, I believed that it was a good role for him and that he could still be pretty productive, but this is changing the entire storyline on him. And, and maybe this isn't the end of the road for him. We'll see. There's a long way to go still, but maybe he's, he thinks he's still got a few more seasons in him, especially if there's a DH in the National League next year. You mentioned the four home runs. Well, he's now got 10 RBI, which is tied with Trey Turner for second on the team, even though he has half as many plate appearances as Trey. So, I mean, he is delivering and is showing that he's not getting cold <laughs> when he sits for a while. And that's a great sign if he can do that and not, you know, he's been such a streaky hitter his whole career that I was a little worried that that might actually hurt him to some extent. But no, he's staying fresh and he's finding a way to get the job done. Now, here's what impressed me about the homer in this game. First at bat against Rogers, who's got good stuff and he was impressive. He struck out on three pitches and that included an 0-2 fastball up in the zone. And Zim, you know, walked away thinking like, man, this guy can pitch. He started with a changeup, then came back 97 high. So his next time up again, he's down 0-2. And this time he looked for the fastball. An 0-2 count, that's not necessarily what you're looking for. You're thinking, I got to protect. I got to look for anything off speed. Something's going to try to make me chase. And because of what he saw the first time up, he thought maybe he's going to try to do it again. This time, the pitcher's a little more over the plate, and he tattooed it. And I think it shows you what a veteran hitter can do, that you don't necessarily overthink it. You've got a young pitcher on the mound who got you the first time and is probably thinking, I can do it again. Zim was ready for it. He said, sometimes with 0-2, it's best just to simplify and try to hit the ball hard. And that was a perfect example of it. That was the difference in the game, the three-run homer. Yeah. Now, we've had the conversation many times of like, well, is Zimmerman going to play more? And inevitably, he doesn't play more. So I'm not sure that what happens on Sunday changes anything. But I give the guy a ton of credit. And to your point, I mean, this thing of like, this is his last season. And I know there's been a thing of like, well, he's taking it all in when the Nats go to these different ballparks. And he kind of sometimes comes off like someone who understands it's, it's the end of the road for him. Maybe he's a little surprised by this. He just has been like plate appearance per plate appearance. He's been the Nationals' best hitter so far this year. You know, I, I don't even know how you can debate that. Like, Trey Turner's had a really good year, but at bat per at bat, he's not doing what Zimmerman's doing. No, you're right. Now, I mean, Juan Soto wasn't, you know, peak Juan Soto. He was still doing pretty good before he got hurt, but you're right. I mean, we're saying right now, where would they be without Zim? <laughs> where would the lineup be without Zim? And again, I don't know if that's something we were expecting to see. I don't think the playing time's going to increase tremendously. I think when they face lefties, you're going to see them in the lineup. They're going to get one against the Braves with Drew Smiley on Thursday. So I think you'll see him in there again for that. Hopefully there's some more pinch hitting opportunities for him. I hope Davey doesn't just wait for a lefty matchup or a situation with runners on base. Like it's okay to let him lead off an inning as a pinch hitter, get on base and make something happen. But I think the philosophy here is going to be less is more. Davey mentioned today about how he kind of had the same thing with Howie Kendrick a few years ago. As tempting as it was to put him in the lineup more, he knew he needed to keep his best professional hitter healthy for the long run. And I think he's going to have the same approach with Zimmerman, no matter what Josh Bell is doing. Because if this team's going to get to where they want to go eventually, Zim's going to need to be a part of it, whether it is in the lineup on some days or coming off the bench. And so I think you're going to see them continue to be careful with it. And good for him for being able to adapt to this role, because not everyone can do it. It's not the easiest thing in the world when you've been an, uh, an everyday player your whole life. And good for him for figuring out how to do this and, and hope that it continues. Mentioned the Nats starting to hit for some more power. Of course, we had the big Kyle Schwarber walk-off homer earlier in the series. Jan Gomes had a homer. 
in the win on Saturday afternoon. Gomes had uh, one of the Nationals' three extra base hits on Sunday, had a double to lead off the bottom of the fourth, also had a two-out single in the bottom of the sixth. And also with a double on Sunday was the man who was in the leadoff spot. His name is Victor Robles. The return of Robles to the number one spot in Davies' lineup. First time since game eight of the national season. The era of Victor Robles as the Nats' leadoff batter lasted a mere eight games into the season, and then the plug got pulled. But Robles back in there, interestingly, as the number one batter on Sunday. And he gets caught stealing once again. All right, this is not a joke. It happened again. He goes 0 for 2 on steals in the series. He's 1 for 4 on stolen bases on the season. But he does end up having a day in which he hits a double, gets a walk. He's got an on-base now for the season of 349. What did you think about that? Robles back in the leadoff spot. Trey Turner bumped down to number 3. We know that's not where he's done his best work so far this season. And again, this tinkering of the lineup from Davey. Again, I think it was reflective of the matchup against the left-hander, and I don't think you're going to see it again now. Maybe next time they face a lefty, yes. But I think Davey likes what he has now going against the righties. And he understood, hey, Bell is out of the lineup. Schwarber was out of the lineup. Here was the interesting thing to me. For the first time, he had to decide, okay, facing a lefty, which of my left-handed hitting outfielders is going to sit, Schwarber or Hernandez? And he sat Schwarber And Yadiel Hernandez, the 33-year-old rookie, was the one who stayed in the lineup but got bumped down to the seventh spot. So I think as Davey was looking at who he was going to have in the lineup for this game, he's saying, okay, I'm going to need to move Trey out of the leadoff spot, try to get him in a run production spot. So let's move Victor to the leadoff spot. Now, it worked out. The caught stealing is, I think, another reason why maybe you won't see him there consistently because that was a called double steal. That wasn't Victor running on his own because Josh Harrison was on it also. I mean, he, he didn't hesitate. They knew it was coming. Davey liked the matchup. He thought it was a good time to run. He just thought Robles took off too soon, which he did. So, I mean, for his career now, he's only at 69% stolen bases. That's not good enough for somebody with that kind of speed. It's going to have to improve. He has now made four outs on the bases, three caught stealing, and one trying to advance. That's not going to work. It's not killing them. That's not the reason that they're not scoring runs certain games, why they're losing certain games. This one, it didn't matter because Zim's home run came a few batters later. But those are the little things, I think, that are preventing him from being the everyday leadoff hitter. And until he changes that, I don't think we're going to see him atop the line, except maybe in specific matchups. With Yadiel Hernandez, he draws another walk in the game on Sunday. He goes for the series four for nine with four singles, two walks, two for two on stolen bases. He's the starting right fielder in all three games. He's the number three batter in games one and two. I know we've talked about, well, when Juan Soto comes back, and that could be soon, what happens with Yadiel? Certainly seems like, at the very least, he's going to stick with the ball club, right? I think so. It's going to be a hard conversation to have if they have to send him down at the end of all this. I think he'll stick. And, you know, we've talked about this. The obvious move would seem to be Aaron Perez, who was kind of extraneous at this point. You saw Jordy Mercer get the start at second base in this game. You know, they're kind of the same players. Mercer doesn't play the outfield, and Perez can, but I, I think they can get by without him. So my hunch is that that's the move that'll be forthcoming. And now we're going to find out, can Yadiel Hernandez hit off the bench? And I think that could be a nice, valuable role for him because at the moment, it's kind of Zimmerman and Stevenson as the pinch hitting options. Now, all of a sudden, you may have a better one in Hernandez from the left side. So I'll be curious to see how that works. And maybe he finds his way into the lineup on certain days, but this is where they're hurt by their roster construction in that if that happens, they're going to have two left-handed hitting backup outfielders to go along with two left-handed hitting starting corner outfielders 
And so if you were ever going to bench Robles and sub him out for a left-handed hitter, it's going to be Stevenson because he's the only one who can play center field. Yadiel is not a good enough defender to play center field. So that's going to limit the opportunities. It's just unfortunately the way that it is right now where they have four out of five left-handed hitting outfielders and the one right-hander plays center field. So it's not ideal roster construction. But I think at this point, you got to keep him around because he's one of the few who has shown he can hit. And until he proves otherwise, he deserves to be in the big leagues. Yeah, he's done a really nice job. One of many pleasant surprises for the Nationals so far this season. Hey, NatChat listeners. Tim Shover is here to tell you about Sunday Scaries CBD gummies. You know, we're getting to the point where prioritizing mental health is becoming less stigmatized. People are finally starting to talk about strategies to stay centered and calm in their everyday life. That's why I'm really excited to tell you about Sunday Scaries. Sunday Scaries are specially formulated CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that taste absolutely delicious and are easy to take on the go. Sunday Scary CBD gummies help you live life scare-free by promoting a sense of calm, quieting your mind, and just helping you to chill out and relax. I've been taking Sunday Scary CBD gummies the past few weeks. I have not slept better in years. Let me tell you, if you have trouble with sleeping, I cannot recommend Sunday Scary CBD gummies enough. Today, you can get 25% off your first order with the code NATSCHAT at sundayscaries.com. That's 25% off your first order at sundayscaries.com. And our code NATSCHAT, where it asks for a coupon, on the checkout page. Ready to chill out and get some much-needed peace of mind? Head to sundayscaries.com right now to get 25% off some sweet, sweet CBD gummies. Support for NATSCHAT comes from Manscaped, which has the best men's grooming tools to get the job done. Fellas, listen up. Manscaped is here to ensure your post-quarantine body is ready for whatever the world throws at it. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement for all of your male grooming needs. I just got mine in the mail the other day. I'm excited to finally use it. This is the best trimmer on the market for those of you in need of a chest shave. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to advanced skin-safe technology pioneered by Manscaped. You can also adjust settings to get a length that you like, and you can stay on top of it with almost no effort at all. The Perfect Package 3.0 kit comes with the Essential Lawnmower 3.0 Waterproof Cordless Body Trimmer and a ton of other liquid formulations to round out your manscaping routine. For a limited time, subscribers get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag, a $39 value add, and the patented high-performance reduced chafing Manscaped Boxers. Get your 20% off plus free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code WASHINGTON at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And don't forget to use the code WASHINGTON. So Nationals have an off day on Monday, and then a big week gets going. Three-game series against the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park Tuesday through Thursday, and then a three-game series at the New York Yankees next weekend. I mentioned Soto. I know you tweeted on Sunday that he was throwing from about 90 feet in the outfield, did not appear to be holding back. The likelihood of Juan Soto being active come Tuesday night is what, in your opinion? I think there's a chance and there's still a big test and that is he's got to like actually throw to bases and that seems to be the one remaining thing they want to try out and they have not done it yet. I was watching pregame today to see if they would try it. They didn't. So maybe tomorrow on the off day, they'll have a workout just for him and they'll hit him some ground balls into right field and have him throw to second base, throw to third base, hit the cutoff man and all that. But what I saw of him 
in those 90 feet throws. And 90 feet's not as far as you have to ultimately throw it as an outfielder. But he was throwing it at what looked like full velocity, full effort. He was really focusing on his mechanics at times, slowing down to try to make sure that he had the proper form. I'm sure they are being really cognizant here of making sure that he doesn't do anything that could hurt it any worse. And the way to make sure he gets through the season without more problems is to make sure that his mechanics are right throwing. And so I think uh, there's a decent chance if he can get through maybe a Monday workout able to throw to the bases, then they would activate him Tuesday. I don't think they would activate him and not play him in the field. Now, maybe if this gets all the way to next weekend and they could use a DH at Yankee Stadium, maybe you make the move then. But I think they feel like he should be ready before that. And to me, when he comes back, he'll be playing the field. I don't think they would just activate him just to have on the bench. The Braves, by the way, did lose again on Sunday, 7-2 the final to the Blue Jays in Dunedin. That's a three-game sweep for Atlanta to Toronto. That's four consecutive losses for the Braves who've gone from 12-12 and to now 12-16. and So if there's such a thing as catching a team at a good time, the Nationals would seem to be catching the Atlanta Braves at a good time. The Nationals projected starting pitchers for the series, Joe Ross, Eric Fetty, John Lester, Going into the season, you say, oh, man, I don't know about that. But given where we are in the season and given what we've seen so far this season from those guys, especially Ross and Fetty, you're like, okay, Nationals could do something with those three guys as starting pitchers in the series. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll like their chances, certainly with the first two. And, and you know, you know Lester's going to compete. I think they may be catching the Braves at the right time. For some reason, the Braves pitching staff has been awful, among the worst in the league. That's a surprise to me. They're still a dangerous team. You know, they've lost four in a row. That's not a team I would expect to be losing five or six in a row unless something's really going wrong. So they may be primed for a little bounce back themselves. But here's the good news from the Nats standpoint. Day off Monday, Scherzer complete game on Sunday. Everybody in the bullpen is ready to go. And so if Ross gives you five, six quality innings, they've got everyone else they need available to them. And the bullpen has been a strength this year. So it it sets up as well as you could ask, I think, from Davey Martinez's standpoint. Now let's see. All these division games are going to be big (laughs) this year. It's so tight. The Phillies, the Mets, the Braves, the Nats, even the Marlins. I know they didn't have a good weekend, but I think they're going to be at least competitive. I would guess that come October 1st, we're going to look at who won the NL East, and it's going to be the team that had the best record against the NL East in all likelihood when you're playing 19 times against each other. So to me, division games have added importance this year because there are no easy ones. They're all going to matter. Everybody's going to be in it. And maybe it only takes 87 wins to win the East. I don't know. But if you're beating your division opponents, that to me is going to give you your best chance to win it in the end. It's so funny. If you look at the National League East standings, you, of course, have a bunch of underwhelming records, as as we've discussed. But the only team with a positive run differential is the team with the worst record, the Marlins. And I mean, the Marlins, to me, still, their lineup is like a 4A lineup. I mean, I just don't think they're going to do anything this season because of that lineup. I think the pitching is interesting and promising, but the lineup just is not very good. But how about that? The Marlins are the only team in the division with a positive run differential. One more item on the Nationals, and this is kind of deep in the weeds, but that's what this podcast is for. The Nats on Monday will be announcing their new AAA affiliates opening day roster. The Rochester Red Wings is finally minor league baseball is back and going to be getting going here. Is there anything to be looking for or um, eyeing in terms of who's on the roster, or is it kind of going to be no big surprises, you think, for that Rochester roster? Well, they're going to announce all the rosters. All four minor league affiliates should be announced in unison. And we're going to hear from Mark Shalaba, their uh, farm director, to talk about you know some of the decisions. And look, there hasn't been minor league baseball in a year and a half now. And so I do think it's interesting in how do they decide the guys who haven't played competitive baseball in a while, 
Where do you put them, especially the younger prospects? So I'm most interested to see where do Cade Cavalli and Jackson Rutledge go? My hunch would be maybe high A, which is now Wilmington, Delaware. That might be a good place to get them going with potential for a fast track if they look like they're you know advancing, especially Cavalli as a, a college pitcher. I don't expect them at AAA yet. I imagine we're going to see Carter Keboom at AAA to start the year. You know, maybe some others that are kind of on the verge. But, you know, <laughs> for a couple of years, when their AAA was in Fresno, they had to stash players at Harrisburg, the AA affiliate, so that they'd be close by. Now they don't need to do that. Rochester's a short flight away. They can actually have their, you know, big league ready players there. And I'm also interested to hear about the process now. The alternate training site's done. This is kind of back to normal. I don't know exact details, but I think it may be a little more normal in terms of when they need to call a player up. Can they take a commercial flight and join your roster? What kind of testing do they need to go through? It's not going to be 100% like it has always been, but it should be a little more normal. And I think for everyone, that's a great sign. No doubt. And, you know, we never talked about this. You mentioned the Nationals' two most recent pitching prospects acquired via a first round of a draft, Cavalli and Rutledge. Another guy, Mason Denneberg, we found out very early this season in the midst of all the COVID-19 stuff with the Nats. So this kind of got buried, but Mason Denneberg underwent Tommy John surgery. So that's another blow to this Nationals farm system. And, you know, we've talked about it, man, they need to start developing their pitching better. Mason Denneberg, Nats take him out of a Florida high school, 27th overall, 2018, shoulder surgery, fall of 2019, and now Tommy John surgery. So as if the importance of Cavalli and Rutledge wasn't already high enough, something like what's happening with Denneberg, we feel like, man, I don't know, is it ever going to happen with him? Maybe it's just one of these, you know, injury plague prospects. It's now even more of a big deal that Rutledge and Cavalli end up panning out. Yeah, agreed. Now, I mean, Denneberg is young, and so there's always a chance to come back from this, but he already had a shoulder injury in the past. Now, Tommy John, uh, he's got a long road back from that. Seth Romero, another first-round pick who has had all sorts of things go wrong with him. He is hurt again. They really, really need Cavalli and Rutledge to pan out in the long term for them. Joe Ross and Eric Fetty's ascension here has been great. That may help him get through the next year or two with some young guys in their rotation. But in the long run, they've got to start developing their own. And those two are high on the list. They must become big league starters for them, or this is a really, really awful run of first round picks, if not. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can always email the podcast as well. Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. Keep the tales of literally coming. We've been having Lots of fun with those. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chatter, courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Scherzer over the head into the wine. The 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. Blows it away with a fastball. 96 miles an hour. The headlines remind us daily. The world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com